don't have to like everything we say. You don't have to listen to us. Time to play Two Truths and a Lie, the last episode where we determine, I hope you've already determined which story is true and which story is a lie. Because I record these in bulk early, I realized, man, I've actually recorded several episodes and already got them all set up. I need to get this one out. I was trying to wait a little time for some more interaction. I've already had some, and I will walk you through why you believe the story may be true or maybe a lie using some of our skills as well as some commonly identified things of people when I teach this in classroom. So true truths and a lie, testing our detecting deception skills right here on Grayman, hiding in plain sight. couple things to point out. This is more fun in person. I, I did have a couple people respond and I would say suggested they thought if I did this on video, they'd have a better chance. You probably wouldn't. I know why it seems like you would, but you know why? Generally speaking, most of the information we take in is with our eyes. That's why I didn't do this on video this time, which I've done this as an experiment before without video. So they will deceive you. There's so many things we're led to believe. Plus, the other thing is, despite all the things I teach on here, it really depends on how much of a student you are of it and how much you put it in practice and really put the effort in. I know when I did contests before, there was people that like had charts and they really went after it. Most people just kind of do it, you know, kind of very casually for fun. So there's kind of this loss there of this idea where there's plenty of stuff there. You're not seeing it, but you believe that you would see it if it was on video and probably is not the case. But you never know. We might play this game again on video sometime. I'll just use different stories because I got a bunch of them. Now, to tell you the truth, here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to do this, do an intro like I did and say like, yeah, here, we're going to discuss it and then go, okay, here's story number three because it's called Two Truths and a Lie. And I realized that really only served a purpose for me for entertainment value. It actually will do nothing for you or help with the purpose of why I'm doing this to kind of go deeper into things. And even if you're doing this for fun, this is worth listening to. There is a point to all this that I think will help you. And I'm doing this for one person. And that one person might be you. I don't know who it is. There are people that leave this discussion and this type of training when I do it in disbelief, upset, or even mad at me. But there's usually one that actually gets it, looks at themselves a little differently, and understands why these skills are so important and how to use them more effectively. And I've even heard from some of them for many years later that have worked in the field usually still in the mil I think all of them are still in the military and it's been very beneficial to them. So I hope that you're that one person. Now, as much as I've told this story to really look at the way I told it this time, which is, I mean, it's, you know, it's 90, 95% the same the way I tell it is I'd have to go through point by point. It would take a lot of time and effort. 
not that I'm lazy, but I'm going to hit some of the highlights and the things that are most commonly noticed that may or may not have anything to do with what deception is. And the other thing too, is remembering why we're talking about detecting deception as much as I've done those I've done, I think I counted like 10 episodes that are related to detecting deception, maybe more. And I think there's another 10 or 20 that have related information that have to do with deception and truth telling is I, I tell just as much of why we're detecting deception. All lies are deception, not all deception are lies. I've explained that many a time using examples and also saying that many of these things we use to determine deception might only be to determine a thought process to put other pieces together. And I've also showed how many of these things can be used to identify things that are truth telling and realizing that most importantly, there are people that are telling the truth, but the information is a lie because they believe it to be true. And there's people that are showing signs of deception, but are not lying because there's something about that piece of information maybe they've lost faith in. You know, I used, I think, the governor of Texas, for example. Some old little thing he did when I did that video series. I think that was in the contest. Now, going through it from memory on the highlights of the main points, looking at uh, the stuff that I typically do. One of the first things people tend to mention is the prologue to the story, and I've mentioned the prologues, especially lengthy prologues. This is one of the examples of why people say it is deception and others say it supports the truth. One is it's a fairly lengthy size of prologue with very little epilogue at the end. And why I've used that to say that that can be a sign of deception. The other thing too is what's the prologue about? If it's a summary trying to justify or explain why you did something in a story, that very well could be a sign of deception. Whereas in this prologue, we're actually giving context to why this story is important to me and the sensitive nature of a discussion of racism and how it can affect a person. The other things we're looking at there is discussing some of the pauses and things when I'm talking. Now, some are very clear, I think, anyway, like when I talk about the old survey, and I was trying to remember what they put. I, I can see it in my head, but it always takes me a second where it said white Hispanic and black Hispanic. But because it's a memory that's understandable, whereas just a few seconds later, and I go into discussing some of the events that happened or transpired, some of those pauses and things that I put in there are purposely done to make it look like deception. And they're done so close together that most people that pick up on one, they go, yeah, you know, because that's a memory. That's, uh, you know, he's remembering the form. So I understand why, because that's not an emotional part of the story, why that could be a little slip up. But then I get into these other things that start talking about what's happening to me which it may not be trauma, but there's some emotion tied to the story that I'm kind of pausing and stuff and like thinking about it. And they're like, yeah, but that seems like deception. That would be a sign of deception. But now I'm confused on the two. That's why they're done so close together. So you got to remember, that is to say, I do these for training purposes. So these stories are told for a purpose, but on purpose with intent in a specific way. Regardless of which one is true and which one is a lie, they're done that way for the training purpose, which I will get to at the end. Now, the other thing too, as I go throughout the story and not just here in the beginning, there's things about how I bounce around a little bit. I'll go back and try to put something in context or I'll mention something from the past or the future where I kind of get sidetracked to the story. In general, the truth-telling side of that, the sign of it being more positive is because it's an emotional thing and it's a, it's a timeline thing that going around a little bit, especially when you're bouncing around emotional points or points that might've had significance to you at the time or now is not a sign of deception. Whereas more likely having to do chronological order, getting lost in it and having to step back almost like you're trying to figure out what you're saying 
and get back into it because you have to go in a chronological order. There are exceptions to that policy. For example, a soldier I knew named Strilo when I was in Hawaii, my best friend's soldier. He was exceptionally intelligent. I imagine nowadays he would be considered on the autism spectrum, it'd be my guess. He seemed slow. He didn't seem all that bright sometimes. There were simple, gullible things he would fall for. But we learned that he was really intelligent. And my buddy figured it out because some of the things he had to remember, he could only do it in order. So if you could ask him, what's number seven of the eight troop leading procedures? He had to start at number one and go all the way down the list. This doesn't matter what the troop leading procedures are, just how he did on a list. But it was shocking how smart he was. This was going to be the third story I was going to tell about Strilo that is a true story that was based on memory that I've told people all the time. That was going to be the third story. Perhaps I'll tell it to you sometime. If you're interested, definitely let me know. One of the things that causes people confusion sometimes is I get in the point of discussing where people see a picture of my mom and think that I'm adopted because she's black and from Uganda and realizing how I kind of pause and describe this. I'm not describing a specific situation, but a general situation of how people look at that. And people get confused on it, on how I discuss it, where I talk a little paused like this, like I'm doing right now. And that's a mix of the previous two I mentioned where in all actuality, because of the way it's coming across, that is definitely a sign of it's probably true and not deception. But a lot of people see those pauses again as a, as a sign of deception, forgetting about things like the emotional connection or that there is a thing with your brain where I'm getting into telling a very specific story about something that has happened many times, but parts of it I explain like this, that yes, this is this is a consistent thing that happens quite a bit. And it kind of throws your brain off from the main track of telling a specific story. Or perhaps I should say, I know that does it to me. I don't know if that's scientifically a thing for everybody. One of the things I get people on here is I go into discussing things about Black History Month and the different history months and why don't we have a white history month and there's uh, that's one of the portions of the story where I don't exactly tell it the same way all the time. It's just kind of my view on that. I've, I've, I've always had that. It's just, it's not going to be exactly the same description. You know, I might say Hispanic month or whatever. And, but it's accurate that that's how the military did it, at least in my time where it gets people is because of the background of my family and a lot of th people get confused with my politics, but there's several specific things that are big in this nation like right now that i'm more conservative on but there's also several big ones that i'm also very liberal on i do actually fall in the middle but because of this subject it comes across in the way that at least media and social media portrays somebody being more conservative i often catch many people that are not conservative and pretty downright either hate conservatives or more more to what we'd call the radical left which is really a small portion of them they assume that's why it's a lie because they can't comprehend the idea that somebody could think that way that doesn't think about everything the way they do. And that actually gets a lot of people. And it's an example of how people get lost in these stories because of their own bias. So realize this, that's the first point in here, at least in my mind that I see that I get people on all the time. That's about bias. This is about you and your bias. So if you're somebody out there who was caught in that specific spot, it was because of your bias that you thought that. And that here's the thing too. That is a true statement about your bias, regardless of whether or not this is the true story or the lie. It's just another example of while that bias is there and you need to be aware of it, it's not excused if it turns out that you're correct, because it's like I've said before, this would be a situation where if this story is the lie, that would mean you just happen to be right. Not that you chose correctly through any sort of 
analyzing or assessing. So when I get into the portion discussing why I was going to go do this run and then the conversation I had with my sergeant major, some things to point out about that conversation when I had it was that what makes people see that as truthful that people typically pick up on it is when people are telling a story and in this story talking about how I was treated, they typically need a bad guy, right? For me in this story, the bad guy was this idea of is racism and how people in general act in these situations. That's the bad guy. People tend to see that as a, a truthfulness thing because when it's not truthful, and this is not every time, but pretty, how should I phrase this a better way? If I had a bad guy in the story based on the policy, it would have been the sergeant major. When somebody has a bad guy in a story, that doesn't mean it's a lie. But when it typically is a lie, they're going to have a bad guy. And when they have like an idea or philosophy is the bad guy, that typically means truth telling. And that's what a lot of people identify in that. And it confuses them too at times. Because the reason being, some people start thinking about, I talk about my reasoning, right? When I say it that way, it makes sense. Here's my reasoning why I wanted to do the run. Here's my reasoning why I went ahead and chose to do it based on physical conditions and the weather. And, you know, I was just, my ankle that I'd broken years prior that it still plagues me to this day to some degree. And then they say, well, but it sounds like you're making it about you. And so they would see that as deception. There's ways that could be a fair assessment in some stories, but these stories are about me. This story is about my entire experience this day dealing with racism and how I reacted to it and how my buddies really kind of saved me. I should point out too, there's at least one person I know for sure that listens to the show that was a soldier of mine at that time frame when I was there in Baghdad. I know for sure that he follows me and I, I presume he listens to the show even though we haven't spoken in years. And I guarantee you that he's wondering if this is true. Because he wasn't there for the event, but he was there during the time frame when the runs happened. He knows what some of these people are like, and he was around me and knows what I'm like. And I guarantee you this guy who's actually quite exceptional at this job, and he, uh, at, in my time, he hadn't really done any interrogations. I don't think he did them prior to me being there either. I, I might not be remembering that correctly, but he was really good when working with people and sources. He might be a little confused on this story and trying to figure it out, but he's actually really good at this. I bet he gets it wrong, though. Something to point out is when I go into and in the way in which I describe things about the weather that day and my memory of it, which seems a little sketchy or incomplete. There's so much of the stuff that I do with intent here, but to understand that many of these previous podcasts, especially some of the recent ones, going back even before the stretch, but definitely in this season, I think there was a few in season three when I just didn't get to this, but definitely in season four, have to do with preparing you for this because I, I did certain aspects of shows in the same way that I would teach classes that would lead up to this if we were in a classroom. One of the things people will identify at this point is because I don't remember those things, and one of the things they'll go back to that just strikes me off the top of my head, not the only one I did it on, was that woman's memory who went to court against President Trump for, I can't remember what she went to court for, I think like for rape, but he got nailed with something else. And I talk about her memory in those traumatic situations. Some people come at me and say, well, you know, because of this, I think this is deception. Then I have to remind them that's about a traumatic situation, something we would universally agree is trauma. There are people that would have had this situation like I did, and to them it would have been trauma. More than likely, they would have been younger. And I don't mean by our current generation, younger at the time it happened for anybody, 
could potentially be more trauma, especially if they didn't experience a lot of the stuff or see a lot of the stuff, and for some reason that affected them. But typically, as I describe this in the way it down, it wasn't a traumatic situation. It would be different if we got to the point where they jumped me and beat my ass and put me in the hospital, and then that becomes a traumatic situation, then you'd have something to go with. But in this situation, that's not really a sign of deception. Now, one of the signs of deception here that I find is missed a lot because we get so caught up in the story at this time, and usually, of course, I'm telling it in person, and people are either trying to overanalyze or get sucked in a little bit. It tends to be the majority. I start talking to the sergeant major in the story and then showing the picture, number one. So then the question people think of that are in the military or have been in the military, because a lot of people don't think about this, is go, you were wearing a PT uniform going to do a run in Iraq. Why did you have a picture of your mom on you? Like I'd explain nothing that would justify this. And some people might think, well, you're carrying a wallet. Yes, some people do carry wallets and still carry pictures in them, but they don't carry them in their PTs. There's just not room for them, and they're definitely not comfortable carrying a wallet when you're running. So it makes absolutely no sense that I would have a photo on me. It would make more sense if I showed it to them later. So that would be something that most people would pick up on that as deception. The other thing that they would pick up on is I go back and discuss the um, ethnicity background of my family with some question and unclarity, as I'm not sure who is Scandinavian or who is Spanish or Portuguese descent, which contradicts the earlier portion where I was very clear on what I knew about my heritage and also makes more sense that I would have explained it at that time. Now, some people are saying, yep, this is why I picked that story as a lie or endorses why I picked it as a lie. Well, maybe, but here's the other thing. Part of the rate that I told this story, even though it's prepared to some degree and I recorded it, was I went out of my way to try to do it as though I was doing it in front of people, as though I'd been asked to tell a story. And when that happens, it's more likely that you'll have out of order or some kind of not really nonsensical, but some confusing points like this, that once you tell a story a few times, it gets straightened out. The best way I could figure to do that was, because I talked to my dog a lot, she's sitting here staring at me as I'm telling her the story as though she's my audience, so I could do my best to tell it the way I would if I was in front of you, which is part of the reason why some of these things would appear out of order. And that can happen if you really look at people telling stories, especially if you catch them off guard, which really is just like, hey, tell me that story, that they're not like prepared to tell you. A lot of times that can happen where you can find out that and you've probably seen this, where somebody's told a story, and it generally is the same story, but a few things are in a different order. It's because there's a difference between telling it in a prepared manner and a, and a different from telling from memory off the cuff, even if you're told a bunch of times when somebody asks. Now, as I go through the story, people that tend to have no, I'd say minimal to no experience with the military, when I talk about being in the run, the Article 15, the ways I was talking to people, which for this show I kind of tone it down, because even though I do cuss, I, some of the things I'd say which would be completely mild in the military at that time frame would be pretty, pretty, pretty bad here, I guess. That's all legit. People who have been in the military know that that kind of thing can happen. People not in the military think that's a sign of deception because a lot of those things they just, they just don't buy into. And then when you go into the story, there's not much to follow. I purposely tell the story about um, Zay and Anthony coming and what happens there as a pretty much a straightforward thing to not give off anything either way. Because the point of that is to cover the portion where I go back and discuss things in the future and in the past about them. So what people tend to catch there, which is rare that people catch this, but again, when I go back to that, um, the one I remember when I talked about President Trump with that court case, was how in the middle of her testimony, that woman, which is great, it's pretty erroneous. I mean, it's, or not erroneous, it's, it's noticeable. 
where she go back and does a second prologue that's not unrelated, but used to justify the continuation of the story when she's in the middle of it. Now, while I don't really use this as a justification to explain, to justify the story or explain the story, I use it to explain these two's individual relationship to me. The problem with the placement of that story is one of the things a person might notice is sometimes because they're important to the story, we think we would have brought them up. You know, because we talk about things later in the story about being threatened or what could have happened or how comfortable we were, it would have made more sense to tell the story because I'm telling it more like in the manner in which it happened, but not in the manner of which even some sort of emotional reaction to it, which is clear by my opinions on these things, exists that I would have mentioned them in a kind of like a retelling version of you know, yeah, the Sergeant Major's black, but also these two friends of mine that are good friends of mine, and here's how this all happened this day would make more sense in the story, or maybe it'd just make it a better story. But it's something to pay attention to when these things happen. Would it make more sense in the story for these characters to be introduced earlier, and not in the sense of writing a book, but is it more logical when somebody's retelling a story they've potentially told at least dozens of times, that at this point we would introduce characters earlier to explain why this is happening instead of trying to recall their importance well sometimes but when you recall their importance as i did but then go into future examples after the story that while they're related wouldn't have mattered in the storytelling or other past examples then you have to question so many other factors and you have to start looking at this point what are all the things we've seen in the story and how do they add up like if i was going to make you know the good and bad list of a decision. Like I'm going to make the good and bad deceptive and truth telling. Like, where does this fall in that? Well, how much deceptive stuff, how much truth telling stuff have I seen at this point? And then near the end, I talk about like some famous well-known people that have done the whole race appropriation or whatever you call it, misappropriation thing. Some people will say that's a distraction or like a justification, but there's nothing I really did in the story that requires a justification. So there's that to look at, but also for the truth telling side that it supports the idea of my position. I started out with as though a typical story here's where instead of telling you a summary of the story on both sides, I'm telling you why I'm telling you the story on both sides, which is a sign of truth telling. I'm telling you this because this subject has impacted me and here's how I feel about it. Here's what happened. And then going back, going, here's some other people that have done things and it explains why the this story is important to me and why I choose to share it, even though it's a sensitive topic. So the question is, where are you sitting now? Is this story the true one or is this story the lie? Well, let's go look at the other story first. Now, both these stories are told in this specific order for a reason. Just like if I told the Strelo story, it would be placed somewhere else. That story would not be third. But these stories are always in this order when I choose just to do two. So it depends on the stories I'm telling. And part of it is for the teaching point because one of the things that I do right away in this story that is similar to the other one that I just explained and actually takes people from whatever decision they made after how I explained why I open and close that way, I do it in this story too, where I get into the story of alcohol and alcohol abuse and how I ended up in jail having to do this kind of mission thing but explaining the amount of alcohol people drink and how in a very loose or very quick fashion, how it led to my abuse problem of alcohol that many people have had in the military. 
as this is to put it in context of why I'm telling you this story. Here's why it's important to me and what had happened, which generally also confuses people because even if they see that and go, okay, well, this is completely natural and normal, which it is, then they say, yeah, but the first one, it just seems like that's either was or reasonably could be a more emotional, personal story. Why this one's a personal story about a bad situation, you focus more on the events that happened and transpired than the effect alcohol had on your life. And then they start to get confused and go, well, that's why the first story is very much true and this one is very much a lie. And some of you, whether you use that uh, reasoning or not, came to that conclusion. Or some of you went the other way and said the first one's a lie and this one is the false one. Which I should mention, one of the things a couple people said, and this is common too, is phrasing of things. It's very common for people to miss your terms or uh, grammar in writing and also in speaking, and especially with stories that are emotional. One of the things a couple of people point out was I mentioned a phrase, whatever it was in context, where I mentioned my mom and said my mom was black instead of my mom is black. Statements like that are done on purpose, but it's also to point out those errors happen. If you're aware of that, that brings down the possibility of the deception. The other thing too is when somebody has died and lost that person in their life, then it's common to speak them in past tense, even grammatically inaccurate, especially once they've coped, dealt with the grief properly, and moved on with their life. And then some of you are like, yeah, but your mom's not dead because you talk about your mom all the time. You're right, my mom's not dead. But it was to point that out, is that can still happen, is people can just speak grammatically incorrectly. And really, if you've ever read anything I've written compared to the ways I've talked on here, even when I'm really teaching stuff, it's definitely more accurate, more professional in writing, and I definitely screw things up when I'm talking all the time, and that's a very common thing for people to do. Now, I do get into explaining one of the things I learned, in retrospect, was probably a foolish thing to do, working with these former GRU guys about drinking alcohol and memories, and I explain that kind of that process, and I also talk about in there too, kind of start to mention the amount of alcohol I'm drinking, and then I'm like, I skip over it. So some people see that as deception because they're like, you're doing that because you don't actually remember because you're making the story up. And they also see it as deception because they tend to believe that that story about the Intel guys is probably false. It doesn't seem like something that would be true. And, and the funny thing is most people that take that position by the end, forget about that and say, this story is absolutely true. That's, that's the odd thing that I've noticed that they, they do those opposing positions. And when I've challenged them on it, they try, to, they try to work their way out of it, which is pretty funny. The other thing, though, is the reason people sometimes look at this and say, well, I, I don't think it's deception, is because we realize by the end the purpose of this story is to explain this very unique situation that happened working with an intelligence agency that turned a bad situation into, some, well, for me, it was somewhat of a benefit no matter how it worked out. And it's just, you know, it's just a really fun story that people like to hear about from my past. And then they go, that's why you would skip over these things because if you start talking about how much you're drinking, then you're going to go, that's a whole nother story and that's going to sidetrack. Also, that's, while the first story is more socially acceptable and, you know, an emotional thing that can happen to somebody to some degree, clearly I've either handled it well or didn't have a lot of trauma in the first place was one of the two positions people take to see that as a true story. We'll look at this and just say, yeah, they don't want to, get into that because that's more personal. It's more embarrassing. You know, it's a more of a shame thing. It's more likely they're going to shut down and not do that story, especially when the entire target story is about the unique experience. The alcohol is just what got me there. 
the story isn't about substance abuse. It's just the result of substance abuse that happened to be this cool little thing that happened to me. One of the things to get people that's a little, I guess for me, it's a little harder to do in this situation, even though I'm sitting here, you know, telling the story to my dog to try to keep it like I'm in front of people is I, I kind of walk through just the down and dirty process of getting arrested, getting charged, how many months it takes. People took plea deals. You know, I had to take a plea deal eventually. You know, this is what happens. I get approached. Here's how it's going to work. I go to prison. You know, I'm waiting to get in. The way I tell that story, I, I don't know how people would see it in this setting. It never really got talked about much because I've only done the auto thing a couple times. But with the, the story typically in this, just because you're in the room and you can feed off people's energy. One of the reasons people think this story is the true one is because of that section of story. And that section of story, when I tell it in person, I actually am a little quicker witted in some of the ways that I tell it versus here and get laughter from people. And when you're able to do that and get the laughter from it, people tend to think because they're, they have this positive emotional response that this is definitely the true story. The only time that that's generally not accepted consciously is like you go to a comedy show, you know, you're at a comedy show, you know, they're telling stories, you know, they're at least embellished or completely made up and you kind of don't think of them as probably true or, or realize it. It probably transpired just not the way they're telling it. It's really funny. So in this one, I'm able to use that to get some more humor and you know, you get, this is where you get the facial expressions and the body language and things people see and it just kind of drags them in and they, they see it, see the laughter there. And I don't, think in my experience I've ever had anybody see that and go, I think that's fake distraction. Most people just say it's good storytelling. Well, in person, I mean, here on the recording, it's just a story. There is a point in both stories that I I waited till now to say it. So I don't have to say it twice. There's a point in both stories where I like cough or mention I have a dry throat or something along these lines. Those are done purposely. I have fluids and water I can drink when I do these shows. If they're not a short show, I'll pause, take a quick drink. I'll get right back into it. You know, I'll just listen to what I said and see where my voice volume is. And it usually seems pretty seamless. I I forced it on purpose to keep talking until my voice started changing a little bit from dry throat and then coughing and matching it. One of them is for sure a forced cough. The other one just kind of happened earlier than I intended. And not a lot earlier. I was just trying to get through a statement. Reason being is one of the things people believe, and there's some truth to this, is when they're lying and getting so distracted and talking enough where they're like really trying to convince a person typically anymore. Somebody with some training will see that before this happens, but they'll get to the point where they lose saliva in their mouth and get dry mouth to where they can't form words really well. And you'll, you could even start to see them get the white sticky stuff on their mouth and eventually coughing and then wanting water. That's more about stress in the body and anxiety, a little bit of fear, but tends to come along with deception, but not all the time. Cause you could easily make a kid do this. You know, you, you could make a kid react that way or somebody sees you as an authority figure. There's reasons why it wouldn't be deception, but it's commonly seen that way. So I did those on purpose because people always pick up on them and go, that's deception. So I use that as a teaching point to explain everything I just said to you and say, well, why, why do you think that's deception? What did I ever teach you about that? This deception and try to see what they can remember and what they have. And we go through it and it's to get them in the thinking process of understanding that even if generally this suggests that is to reinforce the one thing I like to always tell people is there's no signs by themselves that say this is deception or a lie. They can tend to lead that way. Remember this comes in clusters, three or more signals. It goes way beyond body language, tone of voice, 
the way in which you tell a story, your word choices, and there's so many other things I've mentioned before that can be used to determine deception. You know, it's not just this one little thing. So if you haven't figured it out, that's why when I would do certain training sessions, I would do this at the end. This will be one of the last things I do to try to bring in many different pieces of classes I've taught over time and say, look, let me basically remind you or reinforce this again. You know, not all deception is lying. All lying is deception. You know, understand that why you believe the things you believe. Remember that you have biases. There's a few other points I'll bring at the end of this, but remember these things and this is why you're thinking that way. So after all this training, you're still doing it. Don't leave here thinking you just magically made corrections to how you view things and see things. You've just gained the ability to identify them and you need to put the effort in to identify them so you don't make these mistakes. Which is important because typically the people I was providing this to were going to work after this to do the job legit, especially like interrogators and they needed this kind of information. Now almost the whole rest of the story has some interesting points. Basically the rest of the story from this point, from the time I get back in there, I discuss my interaction with officers in the room, how I'm behaving that gets their attention. You know, they don't follow protocol in doing a strip search, how I march down there wearing the shackles with four guards, four or five, I think I had four guards, five guards. And then the larger group had one. And then this is how I act going in the prison. So some people see this as believable because they see the entire event transforming like they're watching a TV show or a movie. And a lot of people take their beliefs about this world. Even if they're smart people that know better, they still have things they kind of subconsciously go along with because the consistency in movies, especially when movies seem more real. Like James Bond was a fun show, but when you compare it to something like Jason Bourne, it seems like, oh yeah, that's definitely unbelievable. And then you start seeing some other more modern shows where they're showing more office and paperwork and, you know, like say Jack Ryan stuff, then people go back to Jason Bourne that believed and go, yeah, that, you know, that's unreal. Whereas other people that are watching Jack Ryan that work in that world are just laughing. I'm one of the things I'll give the Jack Ryan show on is when they work in little cubicles in an office is a much better view of how the world works in those facilities than, than some of these ones that have all these big, crazy monitors and advanced technology. And, you know, there's five drone pilots in the room doing whatever. But then other people see it and say, well, I don't, I don't think that's a thing because it sounds like a movie. That's usually what they say. But I've ran into a couple of people that have been to jail in county and been imprisoned and say they believe it because of the conversation. They've seen people get walked in. They look, yeah, you're a big dude, especially I was a lot better shape back then. You know, if you were behaving that way, they would possibly in county see you as a threat. You know, and then, but I've had the same guy say, but I also kind of want to say the story is false because when you go into the explanation of, you know, the guy's giving you food and he drops it. So he has to go away. So now you're having this private conversation with a guard. That seems like a setup in a story that wouldn't be real. And then you're trying to explain to a corrections officer this entire thing with, uh, you know, possible lawsuits and what you're going to do. And then they're reacting to that. And they're like, corrections officers typically don't do that in prison. So it would have taken a longer time. Are you contacting a lawyer or getting a phone call? So they don't see that. And then I say, okay, but what about the fact of how this is a small county? You know, that's if I say that was the same officer or probably had heard the store, whatever, what, I don't remember if it was the same guy or not, but they probably had heard this. They knew while I'm in there, they're all going to know the rules and they're going to be like, he's in here by himself. These other guys are like five, six to a room. They're supposed to hold two or four or whatever. You know, they would probably know that story. They would probably go back and say something and probably make something happen. And then I say, what about the point where I mentioned, like, I'm not sure, but it's, I, I needed to make this statement. So I don't know if it was like a clue to them, which people believe the movie store go, yeah, that was a clue to them. That's like the secret passcode. 
where more likely what I think it was is something that was known to probably work to get me in that situation. But people that work in the Intel world, guys that like done this stuff, even the low level, lowest level of the business, like just regular military human guys are like, yeah, that doesn't make sense at all. No, that's shit. That wouldn't be fucking true. I, I don't understand how that would work. Like so many things seem true and seem solid, even if they buy into some of the stuff like guys that have been in prison. But to look at those and go, no, no, my expertise, that's uh, great for a movie, but that's that's horseshit in real life. I don't think that's, nobody uses those coded phrases, you know. I mean, there's things you can use, they used to use, I don't know if they still use now for signaling people on stuff, but they're like, yeah, that's not, that's not how the ball bounces or how the game is played. One of the things about it too that draw people in and say that's very likely a true story is, especially nowadays, the downer of something makes it like a better movie. So like, um, you know, uh, in my opinion, the new three Star Wars movies, the first one where Han Solo dies, well, I think that's the best of the three. I think they're all terrible. I'm an old school Star Wars guy. But one of the things that made that story better is Han Solo dies. Like him dying, it's a big deal. Or like if you watch the Avengers movies and like, you know, Iron Man dies and Black Widow dies, something like that happens or something's a downer. One of the things people say that think makes it buy-in is more real is they get caught up in this idea of it's like a movie idea or realize it when somebody else brings it up. They go, yeah, but it ended on such a down note. Like not, it was uneventful. Nothing happened. You know, it didn't even really go anywhere. So I think that's what makes it true because why would you tell this story if it's a lie when um, it doesn't have an exciting conclusion, something you're going to try to suck people into. You know, every time in that story, it seems like it's about to get good or go somewhere better. Nothing really happens. Even the way I tell it, like, yeah, this happens and we have this interaction, but then I go in and get strip searched and they're not in there. And people are like, they don't violate that protocol. You know, they don't do that. Whereas other people go, yeah, I've seen that happen. So it depends on where you were in prison, if you were there. And that's a small portion of the population. Here's a story. They ever had that experience. And it depends on the type of jail you're at. So like a small county jail, it's very possible. Whereas in a big prison, it's very unlikely. You know, and I, I go back and forth in the story where every time, if you think about it, every time it seems logical, a person would be like, the story's getting really good. I segue into something else. And people that catch that in the storytelling are like, that's really interesting because it's a good segue, but every little thing that starts to sound good, there's actually nothing there. It's like a story full of potential that ends with nothing remarkable happening. And the people that catch onto that, most people see most people because the way stories tell, they don't follow that. They just see the individual pieces. The first story, it's a lot easier to follow the theme from the beginning, the theme of the story, the overall idea, and then I'm just punching in little pieces of detail to kind of expound or explain that theme. Whereas in this story, I do a, a story. It's a much better story in the storytelling sense in the way it's presented. And a lot of people don't even realize what the theme is. They think they do in the beginning because they think it's an alcohol issue. But then they realize the alcohol was just to get me to jail. And the purpose for that's a whole nother story. And then at that point, there's, it doesn't seem like there's a theme anymore because most people get caught in each piece of storytelling and forgetting what they originally thought the theme was anyway and don't realize it. And then those that go back and look and see the whole story format are like, yeah, but the way in which you tell the story, because there's no theme, it just seems made up to me. So now the question really is, with two explanations, is this story the true one or the lie? So which one did you pick as true as which one's a lie? Because one is... About 95% true minus, you know, whatever natural little things. And the other one's about 95% false to make life easier. So that's the question. Two truths and a lie with one truth and a lie. (laughs) 
Which one is it? Well, let's find out. By answering the question of which story is true and which story is a lie is going to help explain the purpose and why I do this and teach this class to hopefully get to that one guy or girl, you know, whatever, to understand why I do this, to help you understand how you look at people and look at the world. To do that, there's questions I need to ask you. So the first question is, why does one of the stories have to be a lie? Because you've already decided which one's true and a lie, but why does one have to be a lie? Why did you think that? Now, you can tell me whatever. The, the second I publish this podcast and it comes out, I might hear from somebody, but at that point, I won't even care. I've seen the consistency of doing this in person to realize what what's really happening. So anybody that comes back later and says, no, no, that's what I thought, you'll be hard-pressed to convince me. But why does one of the stories have to be a lie? The reason why you would argue that is because I've told you repeatedly that one story is true and one story is a lie. I've told you from day one. I've told you on every show, including this one. So four of them, I've probably, I could go back and check, but I bet I've said it a dozen times and probably more. I drove it into your brain and programmed you to believe one story is true and one story is a lie. But why does one have to be a lie? That's why I asked that question. Now that's to drive home to say this. Most people at this point, before I made that statement, had decided which story was true and which is a lie. But there are some people that were just confused. Some had flip-flopped many times. There's those that came in and said, no, no, I already know. I know for sure and didn't care what I said. And then other ones were like, man, I thought I know, but now I'm really leaning this way. And that's why I say, which, which story is it? Why does one have to be a lie? Now, here's the best part about the way in which I can help you understand this. What if I had said... Well, why does either story have to be true? Most people immediately respond to that. Not the way they do when I ask it, why does one of them have to be a lie? They're like, oh my God, they're both lies. They're not even thinking about the fact when I said, why does one of them have to be alive? Most people don't say, oh, they're both true. Somebody out there probably did, but most don't. But why to go the other way and goes, well, why does either one of them have to be true? A bunch of people, they all... They do the whole, oh my God, arms in the air. I knew they were both lies. They didn't fucking know, but that's what they say. Because it was like, I knew, but no, it was me making that question it was confirmation. But it's just a question. I haven't said either way. And it's because we tend to look for the negatives. We're programmed to buy into and believe in things because of our cognitive bias, which is a bunch of different types of biases, on things that are bad. And I use these stories as this example instead of trying to use real-world examples out of things like news and media because they're harder to accept because most people already have their beliefs. Pretty much everybody has a belief on any current or former president that we've had during their lifetime, and that's for people not even in the United States. So it makes it harder. So I can use stories like this to point out things where your belief was determined somewhere in the story-making process, and for most of you, if not all of you, one of the things you can look back on and say, based on the information presented, the amount of it, when it was presented, I changed my mind and my opinion. Very few people look at the quality of information and they're learning that right now. And most people, here's the thing, most people can't name more than 10 or 12 points of deception in either story. I haven't done a point-by-point -point count, but there's got to be, I don't know, 25 things minimum of deception in both stories. Now, how that quantifies to percentage of the story depends on the piece and how you look at it. I don't really know. But then that brings in that other question if you're not thinking about it already. 
why did either story have to be 90% true or 90% false? Why did you believe that? You believed it because I told you. One of the things that's hard for people to say, and this is the part I make the statement where it pisses people off and I usually drive it home, is to say most of what you believe is what you're told to believe. Most of what you believe in politics in the United States, which is the biggest conversation people have, or a subject similar that's personal to them, like, say, religion, for those that are participants in a religious uh, practice for great portions of their life, don't realize or even like it when people say you believe what you're told. Part of what you're told you tell yourself because of how you input information and take it in. Part of what you believe. You know, let's say you are conservative in politics, which this could matter. This is same for liberals. I'm just picking conservatives. And then you watch some sort of conservative media, conservative commentator or minor league conservative YouTube person talk about whatever. What we don't think about when it's our team, we'll say, is how little substance and how much bullshit is in the stuff they say that we buy into. Why? Because it identifies with our feelings and supports or expounds on the ideas we already have. This is part of confirmation bias. Whereas the same quality of information could be provided to you from the opposing team and then we'll start to go after solid facts and information. Now, sometimes our version of facts is just because we disagree with them and we think other things. But most of the time when I see people do it, because most people are relatively well-intentioned but also acting in their own best interest, which is confirmation bias is that, is they'll actually look at some logical factual stuff and say, yeah, but they're not doing this. Now, the question is, do you understand even why that you do that? Because here's the thing, you can't deny doing it. This is actually a medical brain science thing. One of the fun things I learned about how our brain works, and I don't know the names of all the areas, there's an area of our brain that focuses on reason and logic and another area that focuses on emotion. And this has nothing to do with gender. That's irrelevant. It works it evenly. Things that we tend to like and identify tend to be emotionally based system of processing information in our brain. And we get a dopamine reward for that. That's part of what happens sometimes with social media. Whereas the opposing information we tend to go after with facts and logic. Now, sometimes we see the opposing information. It does emotionally upset us. But when we reason it out, we'll say, or or I'd say not reason, when we process that information in our brain or choose to react or go into it, we tend to respond with facts and information. Now, this sometimes confuses people with individuals like me that do have a broad range of beliefs and different beliefs across all political spectrums. And this is on many things, but I'm just sticking to politics. Keep it easy. Where they could go look at my Twitter posts and the things I say, and they'll assume things about me, but then get confused when they see other things that take a position that contradicts. Like I could take in a position on subject A that tends to be, say, a liberal belief, and it appears as though I very strongly support that. Then later... There's a very strong liberal belief that I take a conservative position on and then it confuses people because if you have this position, you should have this other. That is to say and remind you, we don't think about the amount of assumptions that we naturally make, no matter how smart we are, about people and their beliefs and how we choose to interpret things. Just like in some of these discussions, some of the things I've had, because I've talked about a lot of the different uh, podcasts I've had recently and how some of them seem like they're outside of the gray man concept. Part of it, like the arguments one, is to understand and look at it now based on how information itself is presented, whether you're doing research, whether you're an intel guy, whether you're reading social media, whether it's a conversation with somebody else, how we 
choose to interpret those messages. That's something we do naturally. We interpret. And it becomes hard because, generally speaking, the only part of this that sometimes is appears to be general-based is women are very much more intuitive than men and therefore by nature will tend to interpret statements and cannot comprehend the idea when you say you make a very clear direct statement as a man and they go okay so you mean this or in other words you're saying this we're like no this they don't have they don't comprehend how a man can make that statement and mean exactly what they say not all the time but that will come up at some point whereas it's the exact opposite for men they don't understand why you said this and it means this why not just say that that's part of the way the brains work for those genders. But in both cases, they actually do interpret a lot because when the arguments get heated and they get emotional, the man who sticks with direct statements, who we tend to think tends to be more logical, will dive into that out of the reasoning state into that emotional state and then start interpreting what that other person has said, usually to their benefit to win the argument because of the ways in which we try to take people down in arguments Whereas women won't do that, but they'll be triggered by the emotion of similar events and similar situations that maybe you or somebody else, and then they'll bring it up. And we call it digging up the past because that's how they're processing and affecting that information while neither one of them are actually approaching reason anymore because they've reached the emotional point of failure. And all the emotional point of failure is, is the point where emotions are no longer under your control and dominate what you are doing, even if you feel like person on the inside watching it happen you've reached the emotional point of failure and it's also to point out that it's the emotional point of failure not the negative emotion think about the whole lovey-dovey i'm in love thing or maybe it's lust or maybe it's infatuation whether that worked out or not things you look back and realize what happened or you missed or the red flags you didn't see it's because even though those are positive feelings you've reached the emotional point of failure which isn't the purpose for the show purpose is more to focus on you and how you see things and bias and interpret things and how you're looking at them some other things too is when i go back and ask in person at the end of each story i say well is this story true or this story the lie one of the first things that always comes out is people talk about the way in which i explain how i tell the story and in both those stories and if you didn't catch it go back and listen in both those stories you'll find that when I'm explaining why I tell something, I phrase things in a way as though this is definitely the true story. And the people that pick up on that, they accept the question I asked when I started this third portion of it of why does either one have to be a lie? Because they realize in both stories, I have, whether I'm being truthful and honest in how I explain things or I'm going around in circles or playing games or no matter what I'm doing, there's things I've phrased and said in both stories that makes sense is the both are both true. And so when I say, why does either one have to be a lie? They're like, that's it. They're both true. I think these are both true stories. And he wants to show how even when you tell the truth and are completely honest, that there can be signs of deception. Now that is a scientifically backed factual statement that can exist. But here's the other thing. Like I said, why does one story have to be 90% true or one have to be 90% false? The fact of the matter is, both stories. If you look at the percentage wise of the signs and statements that are said, so when we look at these, as far as signs go, the way I tell these stories, the first story overwhelmingly has signs of truth telling versus deception. Whereas the second story has 
overwhelmingly signs of deception versus truth-telling, which is not to compare or say the percentages either way. Because if one story is in fact 90% true and one story is in fact 90% false, hey, I could make you know 9, 10% of that true or false completely on either side and that would still make those statements accurate. But that goes into the idea that you believe those things and we're, even if you say, well, I don't believe them, you went into it looking at the stories a certain way because that's what I told you to do. You, you know, the, the stories, I've mentioned this before about how I've told stories and said, I'm going to tell you a lie, predominantly a lie, and you're going to believe it. That definitely happened to some of you today. And I've done that to many people. And I always use it as a teaching point to say, look, you're not gullible. I am pretty good at this. It's to show that it's not about gullibility. It's about understanding what you believe and why. This is part of the reason why going back to like season one or two when I talk about things, I don't remember which episodes, I mentioned it more than once, about writing down why do you believe these things to be true? I've mentioned many times about how we would interrogate or work with sources or assets and get information. And we'd ask questions that were direct or close to the phrase, you know, why do you believe this to be true? And part of that was to nail down timeframes. And we'd find out that their information might be six months old. That's why they believed it to be true. It could be six days old. And I went into explaining how they believe things that were inaccurate because that's what they were told. And they had some sort of faith in the source of information. And that's why they believed it. And where people like me, when we collect intelligence, we don't take that position. We don't believe shit you say. We just report what you say. And then we let the people who are paid more than us, well, they don't pay more than us, I mean, they have more knowledge and analysis, even though we do our own, that really look into it compared to all other collection methods and other pieces of information to grade that asset on the reliability and accuracy, truthfulness and accuracy of those statements. Part of this, too, is realizing even real events that have happened that people believe true. Like, I don't know the numbers on this one, but one of the things that were fake news, which fake news is not what Donald Trump says it is. Fake news is completely... I don't even know how to describe it because I can say things like completely made up, but you've already decided which things are fake that may not be. But there was a story that came out once with a picture on, I don't know who put it out, but it was about President Obama signed an executive order banning the Pledge of Allegiance to school and people believed it, but it didn't happen. One of these studies that was done on Facebook looked at article sharing and things people believed to be true. How they gauged this, I don't know if it was just it was more than sharing, but I don't know how in-depth the study went. But one of the things it showed was during one of our election process over several months, millions and millions of times things were shared and commented on. And what happened was, even though they are somewhat biased, the more legitimate news outlets that put out, your major news outlets that put out stuff in this country, and then you had fake news, made news, even fake news pretending to be major news outlets, through time started out where people weren't believing the fake stories, they were believing the, the major news media outlets, and then over time that actually crisscrossed. And by the time it was over, more people were believing some of the fake news stories, which speaks to the power of when I've mentioned things like the Russians before, or even I think in one of the last episodes about the Chinese and other foreign entities, how they do ad placement to cause chaos or change belief systems to affect the outcomes of things in this country, and we do it too. It's no different than people buying ads saying, hey, support this guy. And I've talked about presidential ads and how they work in this country and how they avoid a lot of facts and information and focus solely on, well, this other guy's bad. He did this. You know, he signed this bill that said you can't 
feed kids in school that need food. And that's not entirely accurate to that story, you know, weird, crazy things like that. And to explain how people believe those and understand those things to be true in their mind because they see them on social media, which is the worst place to go. People see that stuff all the time. Don't even open up the articles, read them or see where they're from and just comment based on the headline, having no idea how foolish they look when they could just open it up, read it and then properly assess the information. Some of the studies showed some of the fake news articles that averaged out, I think they averaged out to around 80%, but there was a story about an FBI agent was suspected in the email leaks for um, Secretary Hillary Clinton, and he was found dead in his apartment from a murder-suicide. was not a true story, but over 70% of people believed it. There was one where there was a story once about a Donald Trump protester um, saying I was paid... Uh, so much money, a few thousand dollars to protest at the Trump rally. I was a paid protester. Like 80% of people believed that, but it wasn't true. There was one about one of the popes, I think it was Pope Francis, saying he endorsed Donald Trump for president and released a statement, but it wasn't true. That one was pretty low. It was like 60%. There was one about Donald Trump using his own plane to transport stranded Marines from somewhere. Like 85% of people believed that, but it wasn't true. Never happened. And then there was something about... Uh, one of the FBI directors claiming they put a, you know, vote Trump sign or something on their, on their lawn at their house, like 80% of people believed. None of those things actually happened. And thing is, there's dozens of those a day and people react to them. Why? Because part of the system of social media is designed to get past reason and focused on emotion. Because emotion makes you do things. And it goes beyond politics. Most of it's just marketing. I mean, most of the stuff with politics, these kind of things, this is marketing for that information. But most of it's about shopping. It's about making other people money. That's how most of it's designed. Regardless of what your opinion of news is in the United States or the Western world, big portions of news agencies have changed how they tell their stories and became more, I'd say, egregious in what they do, no matter their affiliations. And it's because they've seen the effects of what happens on social media. And so in order to get more people to read their stuff, they've adopted some of those practices in the articles they write, no matter what the articles are for, to get more attention, to get the clicks, because that's how they're getting it. Why? Because people aren't buying physical newspapers and magazines anymore. I mean, it happens, but nothing like it was. It's all digital. And so they get it off the internet. And so they need that click-through rate because more than ever, when it comes to things like news or media, they make money from ad space. So in order to do that, they have a customer base they need to appeal to, and they do it more emotionally than reason-based. In order to get the click-through rate, in order to make the money to sell ad space with having far much less care on the information they're putting out than they claim. It's all a business now. This is why one of the things I've said that goes back to the beginnings, and this is when I teach these classes, when I have a series of classes, one of the first things people learn on day one that I tell them that I come back to right at this point is to say, this is why I tell you what we call news in the United States anyway, probably more of the West, is a for-profit business that has customers and they have board members and they have stockholders. They're not the news. This is why I always say, if you can tell the position of the person presenting the information, it's definitely not news. This is important to note because it even feeds into the saying about you believe what you know when it comes to emotion and reason when we look at information. Even when presented with logical information, with facts, things that can't even really be argued, 
sources. Here's where it comes from. Here's the study. Here's why it's overwhelmingly whatever it is. People have already made that emotional tie to it don't uh, want to debate it and they won't change their mind. A very famous story that's happening right now that's probably going to last for a few days was somebody on, I think that was on Joe Rogan, had one position having to do with COVID and like the vaccines and somebody else that's fairly well known uh, disagrees. And so this offer was made for a debate and now there's this pissing contest. And some of the stuff I saw from the guy losing or supporters of it was very deceptive. Not that I'm citing or saying they're wrong, but their position was we're going to attack tens of millions of Americans and saying this is how conservatives do this now and that's why we're not going to use this debate, this forum for a debate that's going to donate a bunch of money to charity. Now, whether or not they do that debate's up for them. The, the argument on why they're not doing it looks very, very bad. Obviously, it looks worse to people that think they're wrong, but no matter who did it, their reasoning for it, it looks bad. But here's the thing. The people that don't want them to do the debate that are their supporters don't see it as bad. So the other side, whoever it is that sees it as bad, if it was flip-flopped over, they wouldn't see it as bad if it was their guy. That's just, again, reason and emotion and the way our brains work when we have things we support versus things we don't support and how we see them. You know, not to take a position here, but if we look at, like, masks during COVID, you know, one of the funniest things about it that I don't know how many people at VA hospital showed me this, but when they they started updating the – so the boxes – you know, masks, they mostly had surgical masks and MP95, so they're in a box of so many masks. It's in a case in a large cardboard box. That's how they're shipped. So what the companies started putting on there, the companies, because of things like actual science and study and the physics of all this, they would put on there, literally written on there, this does not prevent um, transmission or infection of the coronavirus. So the people knew. There's people that hear that statement that think it's false. There's people that hear that statement that if they saw a picture of that would think it was made up because they've already decided based on emotion where they want to be. And here's the thing. This goes back to one of the other things I've talked about in this country. So much of our first world problems and the bullshit that people buy into now is all about identity. Beyond identity politics to identity everything. What makes you good or bad as a person, especially in the United States now, tends to be determined for a long time based on who you followed, what you followed, or what you created on the internet. And then has morphed into who follows you and what you do with that information based on your sphere of influence and your circle of people and whether or not that's okay. It's your identity. People identify based on who they last voted for. They identify not based on gender and, you know, I mean, people are doing that, but they identify based on what they believe in. And they'll, they'll fall on a sword on a hill for that, not even understanding why they believe it. They'll say things like, well, science and facts, but then can't find you that information and will argue against anything presented if it's definitely there. And it, the master is just one example. I can pick examples that go to both sides of politics, but it's just to explain that's what people do. You know, in fact, instead of doing a whole show, I'll mention it now. One of the things going the other way that goes to, you know, uh, conservatives making mistakes was the Mueller report from the FBI about Russian collusion. Even the biggest talking heads, like before Tucker Carlson got cancer, I was just so astonished at how irresponsible or ignorant they were in the things they would say about that report. You know, they don't even understand, like, to put it, I'll just give you the information, do whatever, I mean, you've already, this isn't going to change anybody's mind, but the first thing to note, and this sounds like I'm pro-conservative in this, I'm not pro-conservative in this argument, collusion isn't a thing. 
It's only a word in the dictionary. It's not written into law. And the Democrats knew that. There was never a point where President Trump was going to be impeached for collusion. That never would have happened regardless of what that report said. But if you look in their descriptions of collusion and what they're claiming it to be and how they're outlining it, the really the closest thing it comes to in law and almost verbatim in some instances is conspiracy, which is a crime. Now, conspiracy sounds bad because we don't like the word, but conspiracy can be very broad and very narrow depending on the implications. What they knew was that if they said conspiracy, because so many people know that's bad and a crime and looked at so badly, they better damn well need to prove it or they're going to look really bad. So we're not going to use that. Let's use a synonym. Collusion sounds good. That's the real the real story there. Now, the thing with the Mueller report, if you notice, a lot of Democrats, especially like talking heads and politicians, they don't really talk about that anymore, but conservatives sure do. They bring that up every time something happens with Donald Trump, and they say over and over again, it proves there was no collusion. It doesn't, though. Number one, as I said before, collusion is not a thing. It can't prove either way. So let's say we just say conspiracy or some other crime, and they say, well, you know, it proves that. No, it doesn't. If you actually read the document and look at it, it is very straightforward. What it summarizes into isn't that it disproved anything. It says is, I don't think there's enough evidence for you to move forward with charges on this. Okay, that means there's evidence, but we don't think it's enough to move forward with charges. Now that broadens out in the category we're we talking, is that the same charges would be brought against me if I did it? Or are we talking about something acceptable that would get voted on Congress for impeachment that would be accepted by the American people? somewhere in that spectrum. But where the Democrats really won with this, and I think was probably understood at the time they went for it, was they knew it was a gamble. But saying like, look, if they have enough evidence, we have a law enforcement investigation to back this up. We'll nail them with conspiracy. We'll impeach them. We'll probably get it. Because then we'll have to say law enforcement and this and this and this, and people are probably, we're probably going to get enough support. If they say no, there's not enough evidence, we'll just move on to the next subject, which they did. And there's a high possibility um, people will use this and argue that we didn't succeed and that we're just going after him. I don't think they comprehended the idea that years later, when he's no longer president, that people in the conservative party would still bring this up and not realize that the only support they're gaining from this statement as the people that already believe that. They're not changing anybody's minds because they don't have the information to do it. And if they drilled down in the facts and data, they'd be like, oh shit, this was a really smart move on the Democrats' part and I can't change anybody's mind. Now, maybe you don't believe any of that and that's fine, that's your decision. Like I said, you probably already made that decision, but I wanted to be fair since I went after the mass thing and explained, hey, science, they didn't work. I think I've drilled down enough when the point is, so what's the reality of the two stories? They're both lies, just so you know. That's the simple version. They're both probably, by story, timeline, 80% bullshit. There's certain facts and things that happened in there. They weren't necessarily to me, and I took pieces from other stories. The story about racism, the first time I told it, was actually at the time frame when that run happened, like the day it happened, because I had a soldier who was having a really hard time, and part of her coping mechanism, I think at the time was she needed emotional support that I didn't know how to give. But she asked me to tell her the story, just distract her. And this is the first time I said to somebody, I'm going to tell you a story and I'm going to lie to you. It's almost hundred percent lie, but you're going to believe me. And you're going to argue, you're going to argue that it is in fact a true story. I did it to tell her story. I did it to get her interest. I did it to challenge her skills. 
and I did it to see if telling people what to believe and what to do really did work. And it did. She believed it and argued with me for like three days. And I, I don't know if she ever did change her mind on it, but it was a completely uh, made up story. You know, certain facts of that story are, are, are true, the timeline. There's actually some bad things in that story about who could run. That was legit. It should have never happened, but I was never there. You know, the other story about prison and how that goes down is just so I don't upset anybody or think the PTSD things. I didn't mention any of that stuff, those podcasts in here for a reason. I did have a drinking problem. I did get a DUI. And while some of those are the best of my recollection, the entire story about showing up, um, not getting in, being concerned, I'd have to stay longer, what happened with the corrections officers getting marched in like that, all that up to the point where the guy drops the food is completely true. That all happened. The conversation after that about me going to meet this guy, that was completely made up. That never happened. It's to drive home the idea that to some degree, somebody out there is going to say, I can see now why there's a lot of things I believe because it's I'm told to. You could call it suggestion, but you're kind of told to believe things. You're kind of told to do things. This is part of the reason why even on social media, or not social media, but like influencing YouTube, Instagram, I've even tried it on the podcast. Don't ask people to leave a comment. Don't ask, tell them to do it. Hey, leave a comment below if you want me to do this. People respond to that, not realizing it's the way it's phrased. They're, somebody's telling them to do it, so they're doing it. Hey, if you have a moment, could you leave a comment? People don't see as much response out of that. People react to being told specific directions. It's in our nature. This is to drive home the idea that just because saying you believe what you're told isn't the negative we take it as. It's just direction we tend to follow. It's suggestion. It's, you know, it's, it's not subliminal, but it's, it's, it works. You know, when you tell a kid to clean the room, you don't have to scream at him. I mean, sometimes you might have to. But you're like, hey, you need to go clean your room if you want this to happen. The other option is, I can give you this, but only if you go clean your room first. Now, that can work too, but the other one is the same conversation, just as nice, but explaining if you work, you get a reward. Whereas the other version of that, the second way I told it, actually sounds more like a bribe than it sounds like payment. Interesting how that works, and that's part of the way our brains process things. This is also to say, well, there's a lot more science that can go into the whole brain thing. Part of this isn't something you can control. It's not good or bad either way. That's just who we are. Just like when I talk about things like deception and body language, and I've had to explain many times to people, the majority of this is subconscious. You cannot control it, and it doesn't make you a bad person. It's just what our bodies do in reaction to how our brains think and process information. It's also hopefully to take a lot of things I've said Maybe some of you really looked at this and found some of those points. Hopefully you realize there's a lot more points there and things in the story you didn't see, which might help you think about stories in the future. And not stories from me or somebody tells you while you're having a beer over the campfire, but places you choose to get information. Maybe it is your buddy who's gossiping or telling you a story. And kind of really analyzing it and looking at things. You know, like I, I, didn't, I don't use a lot of adjectives in the stories. I think those are overwhelmingly terrible, especially in news. But maybe you'll start looking at that when I say, you know, delete all the adjectives. How are they telling you the story? Does it make sense? Why are these characters introduced? Okay, they're telling you these things you believe or want to believe, but what stuff in there are facts? Well, they said this, it's a fact. No, that's a statement they said. What's the source of information? What quantifies that statement? What makes that statement real? What's the supporting information? Okay, 
2 plus 2 equals 4 doesn't require supporting information. That is a provable fact. But if they tell you that a politician did this or somebody believes this that's running for office, and using that as an example because that's we're starting to get into that season. Okay, they said that, but that doesn't make it fact. Where did they get that information? Did you go read that website? Did you go do this? Are you analyzing the information you're looking at? And as I've always said, there's two parts to this. There may be things that you change your mind on when you start looking at the actual data that supports that statement. There also may be things you believe you don't change your mind on, but actually have a stronger, more conscious understanding of how it works or why it is that way that gives you a little more confidence in what you believe. But I tell you this, don't do that with religion. I'm not getting into that subject, but religion translations over time, the way things have been either embellished or written for modern language, that's a little bit harder. And and religion by definition is faith-based. So you can do it. I'm just saying you're very likely to be upset. You know, do it for fun. Don't do it to challenge your faith, you know, if it's really working for you. But on everything else, take a little closer look. Remember that this was a subscription or a prescription on what to do, and it works for most people. And I mentioned David and Luke, but there's other people out there that I know or know me well that listen to this show, and most of them will get it wrong. The only person who might have got it right uh, for sure would be David, only because I told him about this a year ago, but I don't know if he remembered when I did this that I told him what I was going to do and that both stories are going to be false and I was going to explain why. But the other thing too is even if you know me and know what stories are true, then you can look at him and say, oh, okay, um, I understand now. I didn't work on me, but I understand now the process. I understand why people would think that. I realize now there's multiple points in a story that by themselves could lead me one way or the other. And here's the other thing too. When I said One's 95% true, 95% false. And then later I said they're both like 60 or 70% false. Those numbers don't matter because here's the thing. It takes a little experience, but logically when, when we're taking, not this, but the way I used to work, but for a purpose, for a job, looking for deception, the amount of points or however you want to measure it, the amount of deception is irrelevant. There could be 90% deception and they could believe everything to be true because they, you know, they just don't know, you know, it's not a lie for them, but there's reasons why they're showing deception, which can include things like anxiety, stress, environmental factors. I've talked about this before. They could show 1%, 2% of deception. Now, probably it's going to be more like five or more to be false, but it only takes a little bit to be false. And not because when I say a good story is mostly true and, you know, it's only 5% off center. That just might be the way in which they do it. They don't know any better. So the amount of deception is not what matters. What matters is our ability to assess the information, where is it placed and why to determine it. And when you take a story that's longer like this, the other thing too is a person could, and, and more it's more in this entertainment type area, a person could tell the story like I did and have you know, a couple minute portion of it that's the completely made up thing that shows all the deception and the story is overwhelmingly true. And that deception could just be that piece of memory where we construct things from our memory because, like I said, visually, that's where we get out most of our information, and it's mostly wrong. And the other thing, too, is you can find videos on it and studies on it. One of the things about our memories is our memories aren't accurate. There's so many things we fill in there naturally that sometimes come across as deception in storytelling and recollection because it's the way our brain processes information. This is part of the reason why 
10 people see an accident, there's 10 different stories. Well, they're all 10 different points of view and 10 different people. But if you ask them 10 days later, they could be wildly different. And a lot of that's based on input. What have people said to them? How many times have they told the story? Did they read about it or see it on the news? Was other stuff, were they subliminally told to believe these things and then changed their mind? And there's other subjects that show that type of thing happening. You know, a lot of the, no matter what your position is on UFOs, there's a lot of things that have shown time frames based on the, here's the original story a person told about, say, a UFO. Then later over so many years or so many months, their story changed and added in this information. But the thing was, is prior to them adding in that information, somebody else provided that in this context in their version that wasn't even there. And so they adopted it, not realizing they're being completely deceptive. Usually it's just something that happens. It's not necessarily intentional. So remember that not necessarily intentional. If you do it, you're not a bad person. So I hope you enjoyed this and I hope you learned something. If you're that one person, let me know. Let me know what you thought about this. Thanks for listening. Got more shorts coming up right here on Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight.